God as a little child will by no means enter it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The hard stuff. Nervous yet? We're just getting started. Find Mark chapter 10 if you haven't already. Um, We studied the first 32, 33 or so, 29 verses this morning, depending on what you, whether you looked at the bulletin or listened to my wife. It's usually a better idea to listen to her. (laughs) Or Gary, he figures it out. Okay, verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and the multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house... His disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We'll stop there for now. Now one of the challenges of working through the books of the Bible is that when you get to the hard stuff, you can't just ignore it. Well, you could, but that wouldn't be true to the spirit of what we're doing here. You can't just ignore the uncomfortable hard stuff. Mark 10 has some really challenging stuff in it. And the first part in particular is one of those sections that I probably wouldn't have preached on this week if it wasn't right there top dead up front and center in in the chapter we're studying this week. Why would I hesitate to teach on this? I have many times in the past. I've even written a book discussing this very topic, Hope for Families. Okay. Since Facebook just cut me off, we're going to record this and try to post it later, taking up from where we ended. Mark chapter 10, talking about the hard topic of divorce to start with. Why would I struggle to teach on such a, what's been a, such a major clear-cut tenet in a church all through history? That divorce runs counter to the intentions of God through, for marriage, and the setting aside of such God-ordained couplings can leave one open to the sin of adultery? I'm just going to lay it right out here. Look around you. A couple years ago, we had 40 to 50 people here. And oftentimes, we were looking for more seats. What happened? One word. Divorce. And I hate to admit that because it doesn't seem to speak well of a ministry. But I can't hide from the truth. We shouldn't. And pretending that it was something else doesn't fix it or heal it. There are no dark corners here to hide in. We had a handful of divorces and a couple bad breakups between people who were engaged here within a two, if not a one-year span. And in a small, tight-knit church family, that's devastating and had immediate and long-lasting ripple effects on everyone. And honestly, all things considered, I don't think a lot of churches would have survived that devastation. Period. But... 
God is good, and he led us through as best as possible. And we're now rebuilding wiser and stronger and hopefully more in tune to and certainly more dependent on the Holy Spirit and his presence than ever. It's also been a refining time, which we needed, but the casualty rate was high. I don't blame anyone but the enemy. He is clever and he's wily. We all know that. And he just started peeling people off. How? For starters, in divorce, everyone takes sides. And soon one side has to leave because they can't be in the presence of the other side. And more often than not, neither side wants to be there because they're afraid the other side's going to be there. So nobody's there. Except for this music stand right here. He's always here. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. Then some people feel condemned and judged. So they leave. Others feel the tension and the pressure. So they leave. And then there's a fear that it might be contagious. I'm worried about my marriage. So they leave. Others don't like the way the pastor handled it. So they leave. Some of the most challenging ministry and spiritual battles I've ever fought happened in the midst of all of that. And if I did everything everyone thought I should do, and everything that my flesh was demanding that I do, the carnage would have been horrendous. And this would now be a hair salon or a yoga studio. <laughs> Seems to be what pops into empty buildings around here lately. In fact, our old church building is a hair salon, right? Dana goes there all the time. And you would all be somewhere else telling everybody what, what a Bible and head thumper I, and judgmental preacher I was. And uh, as a result, some people were upset because I refused to condemn and stop loving and welcoming everyone. And that's a battle that still continues, to be honest with you. The dysfunction caused by divorces are long-lasting and far-reaching. But I refuse to play those games. And if you read either one of my first two books, Two My Girls Are Hope for Families, you'll know why. I'm just done with accommodating other people's issues. Done. I've spent my entire life either being a victim of or trying to minister to other people's victims of those games. And what truly makes me angry is that it's usually the children that suffer the most. So whenever I find myself standing at the dysfunction junction, trying to decide which way to go, I'll go down the road of the heart that functions fully in love. And it's the hard heart that always leads to destruction, that takes the other route. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, because of the hardness of your heart, he had to write you this precept. God only allowed Moses to write a provision for divorce in the law because of man's stubborn and self-seeking nature. But the heartache is then only exacerbated by the heart hardening that follows and demands that everyone else follow suit. That doesn't mean I condone or turn a blind eye to sin or bad choices. It just means that I love as Jesus loves unconditionally. I will not be an enabler of your dysfunctions, but neither will I stop trying to love you back into wholeness. And that, my friends, is a very hard and fine line to walk apart from the Holy Spirit. 
can't be done. And if the trials of the last few years have taught me anything, it's that nothing is more important than being completely sold out and 100% obedient to God, no matter what or who is coming against you. And for those of you who have stood by this church family and continue to trust me as, my pa as your pastor, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for not holding anything against anyone and recognizing that our enemy is not flesh and blood and that we're all susceptible to making mistakes and just outright foolish choices. But for the grace of God, there go us all. And all I can do as your pastor is to keep loving and inviting you to follow Jesus. For real. Not just with lip service. For transposing me to the Holy Spirit. That doesn't work so well either. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Take up the cross and follow me. The Lord gave me a real simple mandate in the heart of these battles. And he reminded me of it repeatedly as I struggled with, what do I do? I feel like I need to rail on the virtues of marriage, to call people out, to bang some heads together. How do I make everyone happy? How do I appear in charge and make sure everyone knows just how I, I mean God, expects you to behave? Lord, what am I to do? How do I make these people see? You know what he said? I've called you to love people. Let me take care of the rest. Just love people. I can't tell you how freeing that was. My weary and tortured soul. I can do that. Just love people. And if that makes those who believe I need to come down on someone or vindicate others angry to the point of living, then so be it. The angry people needed to leave put it bluntly, or just get over them bad selves. Because honestly, it was the tension and the whispering and the rumors between the various camps that did the worst damage, more so than actual divorces. Jesus' love is unconventional. Unconventional. Yes, it is. It's also unconditional. Because conventional love is conditional, right? And so was mine unconditional and anything and everyone that gets in the way of that love being known by his blessed by his beloved will be dealt with in no uncertain terms you want to make Jesus real angry real fast come against those he loves they were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them but, but the disciples rebuked them when Jesus saw this he was indignant to use a nice word I was going to use another word that's not appropriate in church. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So yeah, we're looking at Jesus' hard, word on, hard words on divorce this morning, whether we like them or not. Because Jesus is still the Lord of this church. I'm still a preacher of his gospel. And this hard stuff is in the gospel. Are we having fun yet? So let's shift it back from us. To Judea, 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 that's just south of Judea, and, and see what Jesus is getting at to the people he's talking to here and what's going on. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him, 
Notice those two little words there. And he answered and said to them, well, what did Moses command you? I think the way he always answers a question with a question. Then Moses, they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Knowing that Jesus, Mr. Love your neighbor, love everyone more than yourself, isn't probably going to agree with that. Okay, we've got him now. He's going to go against the law. We must realize the hostility of the Pharisees when I ask them this question. And that frames how Jesus answers this question. Just straightforward, no pullward punches. Pull, pull punches, this is the way it is. Mic dropping response. They were trying to set a trap for Jesus, a potentially deadly trap. Remember what happened to John the Baptist? What got his head lopped off? He was accusing Herod and his wife, new wife Herodias of adultery. You took your brother's wife. So apparently, they had got divorced and remarried. And he said they didn't do it properly. There wasn't a good reason. They're committing adultery. And John pointed that out, and he lost his head. So if we can get Jesus to do that now, he's done. He's in Herod's jurisdiction. That's why this chapter starts out by pointing out where Jesus is. They're no doubt hoping to prod Jesus into making a similar accusation against Herod, a denouncement. But like I said, Jesus answered, turned back on them. And it was clear, precise, and difficult. And it's sad, really, that this section would be so difficult and the cause of such great confusion for so many people because it's such an important concept and it really is such a straightforward teaching that it doesn't really need a lot of explanation. It's pretty plain. Jesus is not mincing words or speaking in a parable here. He's just laying it right out. And it's so often the case in Mark's gospel, a narration simplicity, and it's just the facts, ma'am, only the facts thou. The straightforwardness and simplicity of this teaching belies its importance. And yet for its frankness, it trips up so many people and is a lot harder than it, to adhere to than it is to study. Marriage is sacred and of utmost importance to God. It's the fundamental building block of the family. The family as God designed it. And we're wired to be joined together with another of the opposite sex. And it's how we fulfill the very first directive that God ever gave to man, to be fruitful and multiply. And it's how we are completed, two halves put together to make a whole. Remember, Eve was taken out of Adam, literally, via a rib. Via, via, I never know how to pronounce that word. But I think Adam gave up a whole lot more than just a rib. Because for all their similarities, man and woman, woman, Eve was everything that Adam was not, and Adam was everything that Eve was not. And the only, only way that either one of them could be the whole again was by being joined together as one. So a lot of what man was, when he was just man, was taken away when woman was created. All of a sudden, he's only half of what he used to be, and here's the other half. Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. How do you get back together? By joining the flesh and the spirit. 
making the vows, and consummating. And an arrangement takes a lot of commitment. The vows have to be taken seriously and upheld. The one without the other, the intimacy of the consummation without the security of the vows, or the vows without the intimacy, leaves the two halves in turmoil and leads to heartache. From the beginning of creation, Jesus tells them, God made them male and female. I get kicked off of Facebook just for saying that now. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus wasn't just preaching off the cuff here and speaking out of turn. They didn't catch him flat-footed. He knows all too well what he's talking about. He is, after all, the creator. So he's a little passionate about this subject. And he's no doubt very troubled by all the heartache and pain that he sees his children suffering because of the violence done to this very special order of creation. He gave Adam and Eve and the rest of us as their heirs a priceless and precious gift in the ability to have this kind of a relationship and partnership. It's a unique relationship that would have physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy unequaled and unparalleled in all of natural creation. And he takes it very seriously when anything or anyone hinders or threatens that bond between two souls that he has joined together. As should we all. And I thank God constantly for my other half, and I guard that relationship with every fiber of my being. And if you want to get crossways with me real fast, try to get between that. Put a wedge between me and my wife or come against her. And that goes for everyone parents, the church, our own children, the hottest babe on the planet, the smooth-talking, compassionate friend. All of those can bust up a marriage in short order if you let them. And the only relationship more important or intimate than the one with my wife is my relationship with the Lord, which is the ultimate example of a perfect marriage one in which the bride and groom also become one. Paul refers to that as a mystery between bride and a Christ when he's talking about marriage. It's a mystery how that joining happens as it kind of is with marriage. But it does. So if you're unmarried, you're not left out in the cold. You're still in a perfect marriage. And one that will lead you to the perfect human spouse if and when the time is right. And if you are patient and obedient to do things God's way. Our failure to wait on God and do things His way is the primary reason too many marriages do end in divorce. There's a slim chance, here's a little clue here, people. There's a slim chance that God has your perfect soulmate waiting behind a shot of whiskey at the bar. And you'll never be disappointed or fail to be blessed by God if you wait until the marriage vows to consummate that union. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Because alas, the hardness of people's hearts too often makes them believe that they're smarter and more clever than God. They never are. Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother 
can be joined to his wife. It's a concept a lot of people struggle with. What do you mean my wife's more important than my parents? It applies to women too. And the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So that's a brief explanation of why God takes marriage so seriously. Because the dissolution of what he has ordained and blessed is destructive beyond comprehension unless you've experienced it. And God's heart grieves and hurts for any of you who have gone through the hell of divorce. And as we've demonstrated, it's destructive not just to the two very souls who are being violently torn apart from the ones to which they were joined, but to those who were created by that union, the children. I was one of those children. And I've ministered to countless children who have experienced that pain as well. That's what I did for 25 years. And it's a pain of which there's plenty to go around. Pain is caused by broken marriages. And it affects everyone around a couple and oftentimes create rifts that never heal. For the Lord God of Israel says, Malachi 2.16, that he hates divorce. For it covers one garment, one's garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So God hates divorce for good reason. Not because he's angry at his precepts and being violent. I told you not to do that, and I, you did that. How dare you? It's but because of the violence it does to the hearts of those he loves. And that's where Jesus is coming from here. He loves us too much to keep us ignorant of what is good and true. And make no mistake, if you've been divorced, he still loves you. He hates divorce, not divorce saves. It's a huge distinction. And although Jesus' words are clear and to the point in his disdain for the dissolution of marriage and subsequent adultery that often follows, you also have to take a look at the whole of Scripture. It has a lot to say about this subject. And discover the whole story of what constitutes a lawful setting aside of a marriage that releases you from the sin of adultery. Broken vows due to unfaithfulness or abuse being among the considerations. Setting aside a spouse with whom you've been joined before God without a scriptural justification doesn't release you from your vows, despite what the judge says. What God has joined, only he can separate. And that's why to enter, another sex, enter, enter into another sexual relationship when a former union was dissolved for reasons that, weren't born, that were born of a hard heart. I hope Jesus didn't stutter like I did. Gospels would be a lot longer. I'm going to repeat that sentence because it's important. And that is why to enter into another sexual relationship when a former union was dissolved for reasons that were born of a hard heart constitutes adultery in the Lord's eyes. And that's a situation like any situation that springs from the heart that only God can be the judge of. That's why I don't come down on people. I don't know what's going on in our hearts. I don't know the whole story. I usually know a lot more of it than a lot of people because I'm in that position to know. And I work with both sides. Most people only hear one side of the story. And there's no heart that's harder than one that's in the middle of a divorce. 
It's the one only God can judge. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Redemption is available to all. It is in all things involving what seems to be the irreparably damning failures of the flesh. Grace is the thing that we have to seek and trust beyond everything else in the end. It's not what we do. It's who we have faith in. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he loves us anyways. For our word, yet sinners Christ died for us. And that love makes all things possible. Let's go to verse 17. Jesus goes on to explain that there are things even more important to him than just following the rules. Now as he was going along the road, someone comes running, kneels before him and asks, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Guy kind of perks up probably at this point. Answer said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Good for me. Okay, that's not in there, I added that. <laughs> then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. All right, there we are. Just, just Dana. Okay. I was reading the scripture, wasn't I? They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And he looked at them and said, with God, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone with stuff needs to sell it all right. and go on a missions trip. Right. It just means that whatever it is that holds your heart, and we are back to that sin issue, that heart issue, that heart sin, it just means that whatever it is that holds your heart that is not God or is more important to you than God is a sin. Whatever you trust or cherish above God is an idol, and that's a heart sin. And everyone has their heart sins. I guess I hadn't got to that yet. The ones they cannot or will not let go of, at least not without trusting the Lord and taking up your cross. 
That's the only way we can let go of those heart, heart sins. Which means what? Dying to self. Trusting Jesus completely. Something we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Jesus has talked about taking up your cross a couple times already in this gospel. On the outside, this young man seemed to have it all together. He's religious to a fault. Keeps all the commandments, doesn't say all the right things, and he's immensely blessed as a result. But his heart becomes hard, and it's protecting the core of selfishness. And Jesus looks right past all the things that everyone else sees, right into the center of his hardened heart, and sees what only God can know, that this man loves and trusts his money more than the God he claims to serve. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Mark wrote that this young man walked away sorrowful. Kicking rocks down the road. What about me, dude? But he's probably not nearly as sorrowful as Jesus is. Jesus saw right through into his heart and heart and sees his fatal flaw. And he loves him anyway, so he tells him exactly what he needs to do to be free of that. The one choice he has to make. And he doesn't do it. You need to choose between Jesus, you need to choose between me or your possessions. But he chooses this stuff over eternal life. Greed over life. And yet Jesus loves him. But he has to watch him walk away. It had to have broken his heart. Jesus cannot force anyone to make the right choices. And to trust him, you can he can only make the offer and show you exactly what you need to work on and then you need to repent of it, admit to it, and be willing to let go of it so that you can receive his saving grace. The forgiveness that he offers that will get that giant smelly camel through that eye of the needle. That you be the eye of the needle. Now don't cheapen this by saying this is just a big rock formation in Israel. God can get a camel through the eye of a needle if he wants to. Surely I say to you, whatever does not whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The one thing no child is ever born with, a hard heart. So those who open up their hearts, trust in the goodness and the love of God, the love that has been proven to you in his willingness to go to the cross and die for the hardness and cruelness of our hearts that we may be forgiven, so that we can be forgiven. They're the ones who are going to enter the kingdom of God. Children, trust. That's all Jesus is asking us to do. Trust him. You tell your kids that a fat man who knows if he'd been bad or good can fit down a chimney with a bag of toys, or that a tiny fairy collects used teeth and pays cash for them, and they buy a hook, line, and a sinker. Really? Wow, I can't wait. Can't wait for the promised rewards. Telling us fairy tales. And we know that. Yet we can't muster the faith in God, in the God of the universe that a child musters for a jolly fat man. And so when he asks the hard questions and gives us the answers, even if we don't like them, we need to trust him. That's all he's asking. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Unless you become like a child, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich, rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is hard stuff. We ask the questions and we don't like these answers. 
Can't I just put more money in the offering and keep a couple more rules at the church? Do some penance, maybe? A couple of Hail Marys? Sing some more songs? Whatever it is your religion thinks is cleansing your soul, aside from Jesus? Is it easy to put your husband and wife, their every need, desire, and wish above your own with no insurance that they're going to do the same for you? No. Is it easy to stay faithful to one person as far as it depends on you for a lifetime? No. But it's necessary for a marriage to have any chance of working. Is it easy to believe like a child, taking what your father tells you at face value, and not doubting or questioning how that could possibly be true? How can that work for me? No. But it's essential for, for salvation and for a blessed life. Is it easy to put God before money or property when it comes to securing your future, both in this life and the next? No. But it's necessary if you want to follow Jesus and receive your full reward in heaven. But you know what? Following Jesus in general isn't easy. And the sooner we get the church to wake up to that, the sooner God can start turning this world around. Walking down the road that he sets before you. The plan he had for you before the foundation of the world. It's not easy. Because this world is going to do everything it can to stop that. Because it, it's not easy because it also involves taking up your own cross. Which represents death and sacrifice. We have to die to live. Jesus died so that we can live, but he didn't stay dead, and neither do we. If we die to self and live for him, then we'll have true life. We have real life. We have eternal life. And that beats anything this world and the enemy has to offer, both in this life and the next. No matter how difficult the road may seem as you start down, if, the road, if it's the road God sets before you, it'll lead to life. We're going to jump into Matthew for a second here. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And therefore there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I'm looking at the few here, in case you're wondering what I'm doing. We're shooting for the narrow gate, the one that takes us through the eye of the needle. That seems impossible, but for the grace and power of God. But I can't do that. I can't possibly do all that hard stuff, stay on the straight and narrow. Oh, yes, you can, because your Father is calling you, and His Spirit is with you to strengthen and lead you, and Jesus is there to pick you up when you fall, dust you off, and set you back on course. We're not expected to do it alone, and we're not expected to be perfect, just to try. To believe like a child that you can, that he'll make sure you do. Because with God, all things are possible. And they're greatly astonished and say among themselves, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, yeah, it is impossible. You're not going to get that camel through the eye of the needle. You're not going to keep all his laws. You're not going to do everything just right. 
But with God, all things are possible. Astonishing indeed. Today is the first day of your eternity. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. Keep your eyes on the prize. Narrow gate is just ahead. Let's worship. I really don't think this is all by accident. They're uh, cracking down on every internet-related thing they can right now and just deleting us. I'm not just talking conspiracy theories. It was in the news this morning. And I've been experiencing it here with our Facebook pages for a while now starting with our church page and now with the Bear Truth Hope Fest page, which has been nothing but encouragement for leaders and worship leaders and the church in general. You can't, they're outlawing the Bible. That's what they're doing. We need, we need to keep our houses clean. That's why this morning's message was so important. Because We're in a battle. They want to silence us. They want to take away our faces. They want to make accusations. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Now I have come for the accuser of your brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Where is the accuser now? He's here. He can't accuse us before the throne anymore, so he's accusing us here. And that's why we see the hysteria we see in the news lately. I had a little conversation with the Lord last night. What is going on here? I keep hearing these prophecies that Trump's just going to magically be president again. Everything's going to be wonderful. Am I not being faithful by not believing that? Well, even if that happens, what does that fix? Honestly. It's not one man. It's all of us. Why are we in this fix? Because the hearts of the men in this country, the men and the women, have gotten hard. And the church has fallen down, fallen asleep. We've got to wake up. We've got to pay attention. We can't give up. We can't just expect things to all of a sudden get better, because I don't... Sorry, I don't believe they're going to. Not for a while, not without a fight. I've read the book. <laughs> I know what's coming. Amen. The Lord didn't reveal to me what exactly is going to happen. I don't think anybody really knows that. I've had some disturbing visions, if you want to call them that, recent months. But what he did reveal, and it's no secret if you're paying attention, it just came clear to me last night, and I put it in your bulletins. The enemy has two objectives right now, and they've been his objectives since Jesus was born, since this country was born. Destroy this country and destroy Israel. He has to destroy this country first, at least as it was founded is a place where we are free 
to worship the God of Israel through their Messiah the way we see fit and to be a light to the world for that Messiah. If that's gone, if we're no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, we're no longer a friend of Israel. There's no reason to be. We've seen that demonstrated in recent administrations. There's no protection. There's no reason for the world not to gather in the Valley of Megiddo and come against Israel. And what's that? Armageddon. It's that simple. Destroy the church by way of destroying America and our freedoms and then destroy Israel because our Messiah was birthed through Israel. That's why he needs to destroy Israel because that light's not going to be extinguished until he accomplishes both those things. Why am I telling you this? Why does it matter? Because we need to be praying. We need to be fighting. We need to be speaking up. You can take away our Facebook and our Twitter and our parlor and kick us off the internet. I, I think I tried to record this yesterday. It wouldn't record. I tried to record it this morning. It wouldn't record. I have an iPhone. Yeah. Apple shut off parlor servers yesterday to silence them. I think they're doing it to my phone right now, to be honest with you. I'm trying to record this. We'll see what happens. I'm going to put it on Facebook. It'll probably be there for 10 seconds. Am I cynical? <laughs> no, I'm experiencing it. This is where we're at. Sorry, this isn't a happy, feel-good message to enjoy your lunch and be happy, but <laughs> we're still we're still children of God. We, our God is still on the throne. We still have the joy of our salvation, and we know, yeah, we know what happens because we read the book, but we also know how it ends. Israel wins the Battle of Armageddon, right? Because what happens? The Messiah comes and rescues them. I don't know where we are in that. That's up to us. I've been saying this for a year now. We know what's going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen on our watch. The things that are preventing the beast from being released has to be removed before he can be released. I believe that thing is us, the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God through us. So we need to be diligent. We still have our voices. We can still gather. Doesn't matter what they do on the internet. That's all brand new. How has the gospel been spread for the last 2,000 years? We need to get off our little phones and get out and start talking to people. Primarily, we need to talk to God. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here to worship you freely and openly, at least within this facility. We thank you for the voices that you've given us, that we can lift them up to you and release the armies of heaven into this world, into this realm, to fight for us, to fight with us. 
And Lord, we lift up this nation. We lift up our president. We lift up all our leaders. We lift up our pastors. We lift up our brothers and sisters. We lift up Israel. The Christians there. And those who know you, but have not yet known your son. We pray that the light will continue to spread there. We pray for our sister church there. Chuck and Liz. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for their protection. We pray that this nation will continue to be a friend of theirs. pray for one another. We pray for ourselves. Lord, we're sorry for our failings. Sorry for our apathy. Sorry for not taking up our crosses, making poor choices. Fighting with each other. But we're the last ones we should be fighting with or against. There'd be a spirit of unity amongst the church amongst the brothers and sisters that all the world sees and says I want to be a part of that because everything else is a mess this is an opportunity this isn't the end thank you Lord for this opportunity that you continue to reveal to your servants your plans so that we can be a part of them Lord, we want to be a part. We want to be in this fight. The primary weapon being love. All you're asking us to do is love. Love out loud. Pray for every heart here, Lord. A lot of turmoil. A lot of questions, a lot of challenges. Just give it up to Jesus. It sounds simple, but it really is. Just give it up to Jesus. He is still on the throne. He still loves you. He's not going away. Holy name we pray.